everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Uh, a couple quick things before we jump in today. My name is Zach Krieger. I, I'm one of the pastors here at Discovery. And there's a couple things that are going on. I, I really wanted to invite you on the QR code on the back of your chair. As you get bored today, if I, if I you know, start to make you nod off, it would be brilliant for you to whip out your phone, look at that QR code um, that's there, and take a look at some of the classes that we are offering there is some phenomenal content being brought by some phenomenal people, and you're going to want to make sure that you're looking at that. So if you haven't yet taken a moment to go, what even are these classes? Today is your day to take a look at those, and that would be great. Um, also, you're going to hear a little bit more of this later. I'm going to hit it right at the end, but I just wanted to give you a little bit more context. When you were walking in this morning, you saw a whole bunch of tables outside that, that are uh, being hosted by our local and global partners. And today uh, is really special because those tables uh, at a couple of them, Nikki and Uli Dochi, who we support um, as missionaries in Albania, Nikki is actually here today. So that's really cool. You can actually meet Nikki. The Nikki Dochi is here. And, and if you're like, that's pretty cool, but I've always kind of you know, wanted to meet the Dan and Christy Rich. Y'all, they're also here today from Paris. Paraguay. It's awesome. So as you're leaving today, I would love for you just to be thinking as you're going through the service today, who of our local, local partners that you've heard about over the months and years do you go, I've always been interested to know a little bit more about them or who, meet the face of the person who is here in church on Sundays. And then our global partners, it's so unique that we can have more than just one here today. So we're glad that they're here. All right. Uh, I, I, as I was prepping this week for this sermon, um, I, I was going to start with some pictures of JFK and his kids in the Oval Office. Um, it's just with everything we're going to be talking about today, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I don't know if you've seen that before, but here's the, here's the quick and skinny on this one. He loved having his kids in the Oval Office. And it's, you know, like, not to be too Christian nationalist about this, but it's like, if there is a holy of holies for America, it's the Oval Office, right? And he just, he loved having his kids come in. And, and there's so many journalists that did a phenomenal job of capturing these moments of watching a dad just dote on his children in a really important spot. And the closer that we got to today, the more I realized, like, I can't, I can't give this sermon. I can't, I can't be your preacher today without being a dad first. And I gotta talk about my kids. Um, I hope that as I do this, I hope this isn't just me like having a moment in the sun. This is, I, I'm doing this with great intention. Um, I hope that there's something that, that you can see in me. Oh, dang it, I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> um, but like the, Lord, like the Lord would not let me get away from being like, that's the story that you have to share. So I hope this is a gift to you. Ah, oh, okay. Um, St. Teresa of Avia once said, no one is so far along on the spiritual journey that they do not often have to come back to the beginning. I had a really good, I have a really good dad. Um, and as I've grown up and as I've become a dad, I've gotten to watch other dads be really good dads. And the story I'm gonna share with you today is actually one that comes from watching my friend John Hayes and watching my friend Ben Rainey. Um, they would take their kids on these really important trips. And ben, Ben's like the king of these. He has four or five daughters now. God bless. Can we pray for Ben real quick? 
Um, five daughters. I have three boys. Can't relate. He takes his girls on these like extravagant trips. I think it's their 12-year-old trip. Ben, if you're going to watch this, I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher this. He takes them to France, and they go to have high tea on a lawn on a French estate with gardens. And he puts on like the ruffly, like all the pants, the pantaloons, the French. And Ben is like the manliest man, like bearded, let's go hunt bears. Like that's Ben, right? And he's this froofy looking dad loving on his daughters. It's the coolest thing. So he does these trips when they turn certain ages. And as my kids were getting older, I'm like, I, I've got to do that. Like, I want to capture moments with my boys that when they're getting to certain points in their own development, that we go, hey, let's go away and let's just capture this for a moment. I want to hear about where you're at, but I don't just want to do that. I want to connect you to God. Like, I want to make sure that, that God is invited into these parts in your life. And so um, so I started drawing up these trips, and so when they turn 10, we go on a backpacking trip for five days up in the mountains. It's awesome. When they turn 14, I give them a budget, and they get to plan a trip anywhere in the United States they want to go to do anything that they want to do. And then when they turn 18, they get a budget to go anywhere in the world, but that one we're going to plan together, and that one, the mandatory aspect of the 18-year-old trip is you have to plan something that's like resume-worthy, like as I'm understanding myself as an 18-year-old young man, this is the calling that I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling like I'm wired. This is what God's inviting me to do in the world around. And so I'm going to go with my dad, and we're going to go experience something that helps me get even more of a window into what that is. I, I, I mean, as a dad, like, it was just pure, unadulterated joy thinking through, what would I want to do with my kids? Because I don't want to wear roughly French man suits. So... I called these Hoyos trips, um, mainly because I'm a huge nerd. Hoyos is the Greek word in the Bible for son or child, but um, there's different words that you could use in the Greek for a child, and there's, there's some that just mean you're a literal biological descendant. That's not Hoyos. Hoyos literally is translated, you reflect the character or you share the same nature as the father. And I think I've, I've had a really deep understanding from, from day one that, like, I'm going to do my very best to be a good dad. But the ultimate dad that these guys have is God their father. And so the hoyosness, the nature, the sharing, the who, who really are you following, I hope they can see some of those things in me, but these trips really are like, you are a son of the king. How do I help you live like that? So the first trip... My oldest is now 12, so he's gotten to do the 10-year-old trip. My middle, uh, his name's Brogan. My middle son, Deacon, we got to do his 10-year-old trip this summer. And here's some pictures. This was Brogan's trip a couple years ago. Uh, we go to a place just right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. <laughs> There's some things you need to know about this. I'm an oldest kid too, so I totally know what it's like to be like, hey, you get the rough draft of everything. We don't know if this is going to work or not, but hopefully you don't die. And I strapped this backpack on Brogan, and I'm picking it up as a grown man going, Okay, that's like girthy, but you can do it. It's 32 pounds. Brogan weighs 84 pounds. At the, at the, so as we're going up, like we get a half mile in, he's like, Dad, I can't do this. And I'm like, come on, man, you got this. You can totally do this. We get like 10 more steps. And I'm like, okay, give me some stuff out of your backpack. I'll put it in mine. And, and we keep going. And, and they're 10, right? We, like we've hiked, but we haven't gone backpacking before. And I don't know if you've had this experience, if you've ever gone backpacking, if you've just carried around a really heavy bag of books for a while, but when you're wearing something that you don't usually wear that's heavy, and then you're walking uphill, it's uncomfortable. And when you're 10, 
It's real uncomfortable. And when your dad's an idiot because you're 84 pounds, you're carrying half your body weight, it's super uncomfortable. We start on this um, with a 1,500-foot elevation gain. We end up camping at 11,000 feet. It's a four-mile hike, but it's pretty steep. And we get about a mile in, and Brogan's not doing well. Um, Keep taking stuff out of the backpack. And then I just realized, I think he's actually doing okay. Like, he's got this. All of my doubt as a dad of like, am I just walking my kid into death's mouth? Like, I'm going to kill my son. This is not a good Hoyos trip at all. I realized he can do this. Like, he's got it. This is just hard. And my my posture shifts at that point from like, I'm still going to help you as much as I can to, hey, man, we got this. Do you want to hold my hand? I will hold your hand as we go through these really steep parts. Hey, man, we're coming to a spot in the trail where the trail's getting really narrow. You're going to have to walk right behind me. Actually, you know what? Why don't you go in front of me? I'll have a hand on your backpack as we go. Like, like it's, and, and I think as a dad, especially like with this kind of a dynamic, I'm like keenly aware in these moments that God is going, hey, good job. Do you understand, Zach, that this is what I do with you every single day? It is hard. But do you understand that I've taken everything out that I think you can't handle and I've left everything in that I think you can? And do you know that I haven't just stayed back at the trailhead and patted you on the butt and said, hey, just climb up to the top. I'll see you in a few days. I'm like, hold my hand. I'm right here. It's lovely. One of the things on this trip uh, that we do is, is we plan out the meals, but um, one of the, the kids have, have to catch dinner one night. And so on Brogan's trip, he catches this magnificent fish. Um, that was our dinner. And then one of the things we talk about, we read a book called Little Pilgrim's Progress, which is a dialectic on stage theory and spiritual development, but it's shrouded in the book for kids. It's great. Um, but we, uh, the hope at the end is that we're going to make a journal together, a handmade, crafted leather journal. We made this. And he has to kind of pick a symbol, something that he goes, when I look at that, that reflects what I think God sees when he sees me. And for Brogan, he said, I, I am a crowned bear. That's pretty, dude, that's pretty sick. <laughs> I guess awesome. So that's Brogan's trip. So this uh, last summer, I got to take Deacon on his trip. And Brogan, before we went, was like, oh, man, that backpack. Like, <laughs> you're going to want to quit, man. Like, it's hard. But don't quit. Because when you get up there, it's amazing. Like, at some point, you get to drop your backpack, and you get to set up a tent. And you just get to sleep and fish and eat and hang out with Dad and read some weird book and talk about a journal. Like, it's amazing. You don't, like, do not quit. So we get going on the trail. And because I'm slow, Deacon's carrying a 32-pound backpack. It's a picture of him. He's smiling for the pictures. Every time I'd be like, hey, man, picture. He'd be like, huh. And as soon as the camera went down, he's like, I hate you so much. I, can't, I cannot believe I'm carrying this. But same thing. And this time, like, it's not the rough draft. You're the second born. Like, you got this. I re- like, we will break as often as you need to break. I will hold your hand as often as you will allow me to. I will be behind you and in front of you, on the side of you. You're going to be so exhausted. You don't know to keep your eyes up for things. We, when Brogan and I went, we were on our, our hike out. He put the backpack back on. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we get down the trail a little bit. That morning, we'd woken up and opened up our tent door, and five moose, moose don't hang out in herds, five moose come over the crest of this hill where we had been camping across the lake. We get to watch them. It's beautiful. 
they leave, that's great. As we're hiking out, I'm kind of like, hey, Brogan, uh, if we come across a moose, um, we might die, so <laughs> just hold still. No, like, no joke, 10 seconds after I say that, this bull moose walks across the path about 20 yards in front of us and just stops straddling the trail and stares at us. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Brogan, just take some steps back. And we slowly turn around and another bull moose <laughs> crosses the trail behind us. And as we do that, I hear a crackle to the side and two cows are hanging out. It's like, this is a holy moment <laughs> where we're both gonna die. Um, a lot of death seems to follow on these trips. Maybe I should reconsider. Um, Brogan was terrified for the rest of the trip. And it was, it was hard as a dad. Like, once we got past the moose, we, like, I know we're going to be fine. For him, he's like, every time we, we go across a hairpin turn, he's like, is there a moose? No, there's not a moose. Um, he tells Deacon about this as we're going up. Deacon gets to a point, we start out, and he's like, are there going to be moose? I'm like, I have no idea. He gets to a point where he's like so exhausted, he can't even look up anymore. And as a dad, I'm going, I will scout out the moose. I'll look for the mountain lions. You, you just don't have the energy or the foot. Like you've got one thing on your mind. We just got to get there. Let me, I'll play lookout. It's so fun. We get up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, go to that next slide. Yeah, so this is the lake where we camp. Um, there's actually three lakes. Deacon loves sushi. Um, so it was a fun surprise that day. We got to our lunch spot, and I go, hey, here's, here's lunch for the day, and I pull out like this sushi roll for him. He just lost his mind. It's like a devilish grin on his face right there. Just love giving good gifts as a dad. That's one of the things that I've learned. One of my favorite things that, that Jesus and God ever say about dads is, if your son asked for a, a piece of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. And if he asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. You'd give him sushi. And, and if you're so, if you are evil and you know to do that, imagine what your heavenly father is like when he gives good gifts. I love giving sushi to my son Deacon. Sushi and pickles, that's all he wants. He's super weird. He's awesome. And then he pulls out his fish that we're gonna eat that night. <laughs> he, the pictures, we put these side by side. And as we're doing that, he's, I see Deacon doing this, like looking at the picture. I go, dude, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I'm counting how many fingers my fish is compared to Brogan's fish. <laughs> I was like, what, well, how many? He goes, Brogan has a 17 finger fish. How many do you have? I mean, 21. Um, <laughs> and we get home and Brogan goes, yeah, but my fish was way prettier than your fish. So now Oaks, our youngest, is convinced like he has to get the coolest looking. I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And we make this journal, and for Deacon, it's a big deal to him that he's a part of a pack. Um, his brothers being the middle brother, his friendships, like what that means to him is so core. So for him, it was like, what's, what's the gift? Like what do you, when God sees you, what do you think he sees? And he said, I think I'm, I'm a wolf. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like a wolf. I love to lead, but I, 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 I just long for community and to be in community. And I think God sees that when he sees me. I, I there's these moments that I've had as a dad, and then these capture many of them, where I just go, oh, like, my longing, my desire, my hope, my joy, I love you. And it's so, like, these are memories I hope that we carry forever. I think we will. We're gonna dive into three stories today. <laughs> the first one is like super weird. And then I think the next two, you start to go, oh, maybe that first one wasn't quite as weird as I thought it was. 
because maybe all of these stories start to flow together. I'm going out on a little bit of a ledge today. <laughs> I, I was like tearing through commentaries this week, trying to find somebody who had made this kind of a connection. I may be saying something today that's not super grounded. However, you can make up your mind for yourself because these stories follow back to back to back to back. And if you're a Jewish writer like Matthew, you're not gonna organize things on accident. You're gonna group things together based on theme and based on your point. So, the stories that we're gonna hit today. We're gonna hit a story that's generally referred to as the transfiguration. Sounds like something that comes out of Professor McGonagall's classroom, but I digress. The second story that we're going to hit is a a weird story about a fish that pays your taxes for you. Sounds awesome. And the last story is a story where a couple of Jesus' students come to him and say, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which is like kind of arrogant, right? Like these are weird. These are just some strange stories. And I think you'll find, at least I have discovered, I think, when you look underneath each one of these stories, it doesn't take a lot of scratching under the surface to go, all of these stories are about a dad and a son. All these stories are about a parent and a child. And you have to understand the heart of a parent for a a kid. You don't have to be a parent. You can see this in the world around. And I think to give one more disclaimer, I've gotten to be in ministry for several years now. I don't want to miss the fact that for many of us, stories about dads are really hard. You would consider your own experience and go, I don't, like, my dad never took me fishing. My dad actually did things to me that damaged me, and I'm still trying to get over. And so to consider God as a father is really hard. To which I would offer this. You have a dad. You have a different dad than that story. And this dad you're gonna hear about here. Don't confuse the two. And for those of you that had a great dad, don't confuse the two. Because even the best dad in this world is still broken and messed up. Okay, here's our first story. Woo, okay, here we go. Man, we are charged, you ready? Here we go. We're in the book of Matthew. We're gonna start um, in chapter 17, verse one. Now. Some things to know. Yeah, if you brought your Bible, turn there now. You're going to want to see this. Like to see it on the page, just to see how close these stories are. It's phenomenal. But you're going to want to know some things going in. Last week, we hit the story where Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. It's like, it's a pretty wild place. If you missed that one, go on back. Um, Thanks for all of you who emailed me this week saying, I will never use the word pandemonium ever again. Um, But Jesus is still in that vicinity. Um, We mentioned last week, once we get to that story in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is very north of Galilee. And now for the whole rest of the book of Matthew, Jesus is slowly walking towards Jerusalem, a.k.a. Jesus is slowly walking towards his cross. So he's still up in this northern part, right around Caesarea Philippi. And... um, there's, there's some wild things that are going to happen over this next chapter. We're going to cover today everything in chapter 17 and the first four verses of chapter 18. The word Jesus will show up 12 times as we go through those words. The word son or child or children 
will appear 13 times going on here. Now, there's, there's no numerology we're going to get into there. I just share that with you to go. Do you think Matthew's getting at something? Like, if he's going to use a different word than Jesus more, he might want us to be paying attention to that word. Okay, here we go. Chapter 17, verse 1. If you've never heard this story before, this is about to freak you out. And if you've heard this story way too much, this should totally freak you out. Are you ready? Chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Okay, transfigured. If we stop at that word, Greek word there is metamorpho, metamorphosis. This is like watching a, a, a caterpillar crawl out and all of a sudden be a butterfly. This should freak you out, right? Like his fans are up here, like we're partying on a hike, let's set up some tents. Boom, Jesus just sprouted butterfly wings. Like what, this is, this is weird. Like that, that right there, if you blow past that and that doesn't make you go, what is happening? You're too familiar with this story. And if you come to that place and you go, that's not natural, you're right. <laughs> And he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Like this, this is crazy. Picture the scene in your mind as we keep reading. It gets more weird. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. What? Like now we've got zombies involved. Like this is just a straight up movie out of Hollywood. Like we could, the CG graphics going on. He's transfigured, his face is shining, his clothes are dazzling, dead people are popping up and walking around, and now they're, it's like, who's riding, what were they drinking up on this mountain? Something strange is happening here. And I, I think if you're somebody who goes, I need it to be pretty rational, I need to understand what's going on, this story will offend you. Because there's nothing here that I can offer to you that, that's like, oh, well, you see, here's how that works. Like, you pray this prayer and you drink this tonic and all of a sudden, boom, you're glowing like this. Like this is just, this is God doing God things. That's the only explanation for this. And if you have trouble wrapping your head around that, you are welcome here and you're not the only one. The story continues. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you, if you wish, I will make us three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's strange. <laughs> hey, dead people, you're glowing. I'm going to go set up three tents. Do you want a tent? I'll make you a tent. Like, what, where, Peter, where's your head at, man? And I got to think that like James and John are there like, we don't get tents? Like, what? I thought we were buddies. Why? What's, why? What's going on? If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and he touched them saying, get up, do not be afraid. And then when they looked up, they saw no one else except Jesus alone. <laughs> this is a fun one to give a sermon on. This is weird. This is just straight up heebie-jeebie weird. What is happening? There's a couple things that we can unpack here. We can get real, you know, Bible nerdy and wig out, and like there's some really cool stuff. 
If that's your jam, if you're like, I want to peel back the layers of this thing and really try and wrap my head around the parts that we can wrap our heads around, come find me after service. We're going to hit some elements of this. Um, I want to show you a little bit of what's going on here. But my concern, I think, <laughs> for myself as I was diving into study this week, is people get like, real focused on like, what are the nuts and bolts of the story, and they miss the bigger picture of what's going on here. So here's some of the nuts and the bolts. Moses and Elijah are walking around. That's neat, because they're dead. Um, that, like, why? why are, what are they doing there? And you have to remember, you have to remember when you're reading the book of Matthew. Matthew was written particularly to Jewish people. And so they're going to be picking up on things that you and I are like, that's random. Like, he just chose a couple random dudes from the Old Testament. Like, why those guys? If you're Jewish, right away you go, I could tell you exactly why it's Moses and Elijah. Moses, when you say his name, immediately is associated with the law, with the Ten Commandments, with God's word coming down to people. And the law, if you're Jewish, is a big deal. And they would break up, and they still do this today in the Jewish Bible. They call it the Tanakh, and there's these different sections of Tanakh in a Jewish Bible, and it begins with the Torah. Moses is Torah. Moses represents, embodies Torah. And so when we read Moses and Elijah are walking around, we don't see Moses and go, it's just a dude. We see Moses and go, oh, the embodiment of the Torah is walking around with Jesus. And that, it's not a metaphor. It's not like, well, they were like, they had too much to drink and they kind of like, oh, we'll just call it Moses. It's Moses. Like, it's Moses walking around, but that's what he represents. As you go further into a Jewish Bible, they have writings that are by the prophets. And if you ask any Jewish person today, if you could pick like one mascot to be on the flag of all of the prophets, who's like the prophet of prophets? Oh, it's Elijah. <laughs> like hands down, there's no question. You're not going to find dialogue. It's, that's just the answer. And it's not just the dude. Elijah represents all of the prophets. Everything that God has been doing and interacting with with the people of Israel, that's Elijah. So they're on this hill. All of a sudden, Jesus starts glowing, and, these, and the law and the prophets show up. The entire Old Testament at the time is now there. That's what you can start to see is going on. And there's one other like, really funny thing um, that's going on. If you're Jewish, you have been memorizing especially the Torah for most of your life. By the time you're 12, you can recite most likely the entire book of Genesis and Exodus just out of rote memory. Phenomenal, right? Makes me feel like a bad parent. And for them, they would hear the ingredients of this story together and they'd be like, oh, I get it. In ways that you and I might be like, this is weird. So if we could put a little discovery flash on this and be like, how could we represent what's going on? I think the best way to do that would be a Venn diagram. Um, so I've got a Venn diagram for you. On, here's what these two stories, Exodus 24, if you're unfamiliar with this story, this is where God invites Moses and a handful of people up on the side of a mountain on Mount Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments. This is where he writes them on stone tablets. It's like a critical story if you're Jewish. Every Jewish kid for sure had this one memorized. And if you look at that story and then you hold up the story that we just read next to it, like the common ingredients are unmistakably clear. They go, they go up on a high mountain. That mountain gets covered with a cloud, which that cloud always, always represents God's presence around something. 
which I, as just a quick, this isn't even in the notes, this is just fun. As a sidestep, doesn't that like express to you the mystery of what he's like? Like we also get this idea of like he's fire, but the way that God wants to be seen, if you're gonna physically encounter God, it's through smoke. Like you can't totally see everything that's going on there. And that's less a game of hide and go seek and way more a game of like, if you, if you saw everything, you would just die. You can't handle it because you're messed up and I'm not. It's amazing. But cloud covers the hill. Three guests join. This one to me, I had to go back and look. And you kind of fudge if you're a Protestant Christian looking at this because it's like, well, at one point it says that Moses is taking Aaron and Joshua and her up the mountain. And then another part of the story, it says that he's taking Aaron and Nadab and Abihu up with him. But they're at different points of the journey up the mountain. And to a Jewish person, they'd be like, why are you stressing so much? He took three people up the mountain. So what I would say to you is, why are you stressing so much? He took three people up the mountain. But each of them take three. Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John with him. Glory settles on that mountain. It's not just passing through, it stays. After six days, that language is really critical. There's lots of nerdiness to why. God speaks in these places, which you don't get a ton in scripture of these places where not through another person, but it's just God, like it's just the voice of God that comes down and he says something, that happens here. Just for giggles, it does happen in one other place in 1 Kings 19, where God is talking to a guy and the guy says, I I wanna see you. And God says, you can't see me, but go up in the side of this mountain in a cave, I'll put my hand on the door and I'll walk past. And this guy, Here's God walk past, and at first it sounds like this crazy rush of wind, like hurricane, gale force, tornado wind. And then he hears fire moving through, and it's bursting rocks. And then he hears utter silence. And then he hears the voice of God. And that guy, his name's Elijah. There's these moments that it's setting up here for a Jewish reader going, you're encountering the God of the universe. Again, don't miss it. And the point in each of these stories, and really even if you want to pull in the Elijah story, I didn't have time to pull in the third circle of the Venn diagram, but that would be really fun if you want to get nerdy. The point is that God's a dad. God's God's a father. God's a parent. And you're a child. And Israel on the side of Mount Sinai I'm giving you my 10 commandments because I want you to know here's how we're gonna do life together. Here's the adventures I'm gonna take you on. Here's how we're gonna get there. Here's our family culture. I wanna tell you everything because you are a hoyos to me. You display my nature and my character. Mm. And Jesus is on the side of this mountain and this voice calls out, oh, this is my son. My, not just my son. This is my beloved son. I love him in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, love it. <laughs> and then the dude, Peter. I love Peter. Peter gets hated on a lot in this. Like he's, you know, kind of dumb Peter. Like let's go make some tents. Peter, I think, is paying attention though because in the book of Exodus, when this story happens, the next thing that God tells Moses and the people of Israel to do is go build a tabernacle 
which if you literally take what's going on in this story, Peter is looking at Jesus and he goes, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Let me go be, build some tabernacles. That's the literal language that's going on there. Peter, I think, understands the situation. He's going, okay, we're back on Mount Sinai. God's coming down. He's talking to us because he loves us. We're his kids. What's the next part? I'll go build tabernacles. <laughs> like, love that. And I think what we see that continues to play out in the life and the story of Jesus is God's presence. Like they, they would build a tabernacle in Exodus because God's presence was going to be there. That's how he would travel with them. He would be in this tent. He would be in this tabernacle. What Peter misses though, last chapter, Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're God's living son. And what he misses here is, Peter, you don't have to build tents anymore where God can live and you can take him around with you. God's presence is in a person and he's right in front of you. He's the one with the glowing clothes. Like, that's where God lives now. If you want to know God, know him. And Peter misses that. But it's this beautiful confluence of what is Matthew doing, what is Jesus doing, what's Peter doing as they're looking at their Old Testament and holding up the consistent story of God with what's happening right in front of their face. And Peter's doing a beautiful job of going, it's all the same story. And then we get to those words. This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What's Jesus doing when this is happening? Jesus has done a lot of really cool stuff so far in the book of Matthew. He's been healing people like gangbusters. It's awesome. He's been going in and giving these lessons, these sermons that are like mind-blowingly good. And it would make sense to me that those would be the moments where like you'd hear God like peel back the curtain of heaven real quick and be like, you're doing a great job. What's Jesus doing on the side of this mountain? <laughs> He's just sitting there. And this is the moment where God chooses to peel back the curtain of heaven and say, you're doing a great job. But we can't forget one other really important detail at this point in the story, especially for Matthew, because Jesus has just said something he hasn't said yet in the book of Matthew, at least not this directly. At the end of chapter 16, right before the story, the last things that Jesus says, or he turns to his students and he says, look, you guys, um, I'm going down to Jerusalem. They're gonna kill me. And in three days, I'm gonna come back to life. It's not at that point that God peels back and says, good job. I, I think you have to begin seeing six days later is when this story happens. What's it like to know that you're going to die, especially die like suffering, and then to walk towards that? And, and for six days, I just got to think that Jesus has been a little bit buried. Like, I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> do I really want to do this? I feel called to this. Maybe I heard God wrong. And six days in, he's just sitting on the side of a mountain with his three friends, and this is the moment where God chooses to pull back the curtain and say, hey, you're doing a good job. We've heard these words before in the book of Matthew. I have to take you all the way back to chapter four, but when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he comes out of the water and heaven opens up, and you're not gonna believe this, but it, the, the, the voice of God says these words, this is my son, the beloved, with who I am well pleased. We already know this about Jesus. Why are we saying it again? Matthew, why are you wasting the ink to tell us something that we already know? And I would draw your attention to one other thing there. Jesus will leave his baptism to go where next? Do you remember? 
He goes into the desert for 40 days to be tested and tempted and have conversations with Satan. It's like in that moment, it's right before something really hard is about to happen that God says, hey, you're doing a great job. Which I think I would translate for you. Going, hey, it's a hard trail. I know that you just turned a corner and it's looking like it's going straight up. I actually can see the cross with you that's up at the top of this hill. Grab my hand. Remember how we held hands as we walked through the temptation? You're doing a great job. I'm right here. My hand's on your backpack. Keep going. And we get down to chapter 17 in this moment where Jesus is going, I'm going to die. And God once again is coming in going, it's not for all the stuff that you do. I just want, I'm with you in the struggle. It's poetry. Everything that's happening is this, in this scene is absolute poetry. And the last thing that gets said is this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now again, if you're a Jewish person who's reading this story, what have you listened to your entire religious life? You listen to the Bible. Like, that is the authority. That's where the law is. That's where the prophets are. That's where all the action happens. And now we've got Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. They're standing next to Jesus. And the voice of God comes down, and it's the one thing that's added that he didn't say at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If you want to understand everything that's come before in the Old Testament, if you want to understand what it's like to live out the commands, to understand the prophets, if you want to know that, you, you can keep reading those, but you will not understand them without reading them through this son of mine whom I love. Listen to him. And if you're a Jewish person reading this, and I think for us as we're reading this, this is a moment in the story where Matthew's going, okay, we're going to turn one more huge dynamic before we get too much closer to Jerusalem. The point of my story, Matthew, the point of my story is now no longer how does this Jesus fit with everything else that's been going on in the Bible. In this moment, Matthew and God is saying, at this point in the story, everything you're concerned about is how is all of the Bible interpreted through this man. Like he is focusing in so hard on just Jesus. He stands alone. And if you hear that, if you go, yeah, Jesus is God's son. God loves Jesus. If you think like, yeah, that's cool. That sentence, if it's true, changes everything. It knocked these guys over. I don't know if you've ever seen a YouTube video of the fainting goats. If you haven't, you're welcome. Go home and look that up. But it's these goats that like, it doesn't take a lot to freak them out, but it's just this, this defense mechanism. They'll just stop and fall over. Like they're just, they're freaked out. It's, it's so funny. Some, sometimes bordering on like, People are doing messed up things with these goats. But not pandemonium, you guys. Don't go there. It's a fainting goat moment. This is your, we're supposed to listen to him. Boom. Like, this is, this is holy. Like, what you just said, it changes my entire life. And my invitation, if you're somebody who's been around Jesus or you're familiar with church or you've heard these stories before, it, like, to hit this story like skipping a, a stone across the surface of the water, like, yeah, it's a cool story. Like, Jesus is cool. No, like you're not paying attention to what's going on. If this is true, if Jesus is the Son of God, it changes everything with how you live today. Like your, your whole world becomes, how do I, if that's true, how do I orient everything I do around him? Because if, he, if I believe that, if he's God's Son, it, it changes me.
That's the invitation. Oh, he's the source. He is the source. Everything goes through him. Okay, I'm going to move on to another story, but hold that. There's some real beauty that's going on there. The next story that we get, which we're not going to spend time on, Jesus comes down the mountain and there's a dad who has a son. The son's not doing well. He's demon-possessed. And the dad asks Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, absolutely. Don't miss the fact we've got a father-son dynamic going on. Then we're going to get one quick interlude, just a couple verses where Jesus is going to say something that seems really familiar. He says this. When they were gathering in Galilee... Now we're gone a little bit further south. Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And on the third day he will be raised and they were greatly distressed. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this today, but I, I want you to see this because he literally just said this. Like two stories ago, he told his students this. And Jesus is now telling them this again. Why? I think one is he's like, you guys, I don't know that you heard me the first time. I don't know that it's dawned on you. Like, it's not a parable. It's not an allegory. I'm going to my death. I think, one, he's saying it for their benefit. I I would love to invite you to consider it from a human perspective of Jesus. For him, it's like, it's on him. He can't get away from that thought. Like, he's sharing his inner dialogue. I'm going to die. Like, I'm walking towards my death. You guys, I'm going to die. In three days, I'm going to be raised again. Don't miss that detail. But there's a closeness to this thought to Jesus. He is keenly aware of what he has volunteered to do. And again, I would posit with the string of these stories together, I think some of that is a confession of God. Is your hand on the backpack still? Because it's starting to feel a little lonely. I'm suffering. Are you there? And then we get into this next story. And this one is super weird and super fun. It goes like this. When they reach Capernaum, so they're now back in Jesus' hometown. This is where Simon lives. They're probably at Simon's house during this story. It says this. When they reached Capernaum, the, tax, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and they said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes, he does, which is the right, I mean, that's how you approach the IRS. When they, did you pay your tax? Yes. Like, see here, they're like, Peter, are you sure? You answered kind of fast. Yes, he does. And when he came home, Jesus spoke of it first, which I like just pausing for a second on that. That's hysterical. It's like Jesus is just hanging out like the window on the front of the house like, hey, buddy, how'd that conversation go? <laughs> you, you sure? <laughs> you sure we're paying the temple tax? Yes. Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take their toll or tribute? From their children or from others? Um, I had a lot of fun. This was a gift to me this week. Um, you want to know what that really means there? From who do the kings of the earth take their tribute? From their hoyos or from others? From their children who reflect their character or do they treat them like other people? And Peter said, from others. That's who you take the taxes from. You take them from, not from your family. You take them from the common people, the plebes. And Jesus said to him, then the children are free. However, so that we do not give offense to them, go to the lake and cast a hook Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. 
That's weird. Like, that's just a weird story. And there, we don't have time for it today. There's a, a folklore. It's like an Aesop's fable that's going around at the time, a bedtime story about a fish that has a coin in its mouth. Jesus is doing something super playful here. I love that it's a kid's story. Again, with everything we're talking about today, it's a children's story that Jesus is going to go, hey, you know the story of the fish with the coin? Peter, go, go play with a fish with a coin in its mouth. Go be a kid. <laughs> like, engage a children's story. But it doesn't take a lot of digging to get underneath this one. We're, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but to paint the picture yet again, Jesus is going, look, people collect taxes. But in this day and age, if you belong in the palace, if you live there, do you have to pay, um, do you have to pay taxes if you're, if you're related to the king? And Peter says, no, of course not. Like, you're a part of that family. That's who the money's going to. So why would you pay money to your own family? Like, no, you don't have to pay it. You're a child. And they're like, gosh, there just is this moment. I don't know if you caught it. In verse 27, Jesus, Jesus says, then the children are fee. However, so that we do not give offense to them. Peter, I'm sure when he heard the word we, like, grinned like an idiot for like the next 24 hours minimum. Because what Jesus is saying here is, look, there's like families going on in the world. Peter, are we a part of the family of this world where like, we're trying to build temples and we're oppressing people and we're hurting people? Is that the family that we're a part of or are we outside of that family? And Peter goes, no, we're outside of that family. And then in this statement, Jesus says, you're right. We are a part of a different family. Peter goes, I am. I'm a part of your, we're, we're like brothers. Like that's, that's the point of the story that's going on here. Jesus says, yeah, in fact, like we're gonna pay money to this family over here, this oppressive, crazy Roman temple tax system. It's everything, so we'll, like, we'll give them our money. We have a different family that we're a part of. And you know, just Peter's like, yes! Where's my fishing pole? Like I'm gonna go be a kid and go fish and catch a fish with money. Like it's such a wild story, this weird interlude. What, what is it doing there? It's following the heels of this Mount of Transfiguration where God has just reminded us, don't forget my boy. Don't forget that I'm proud of him. And in this moment, as a reader, you kind of get Jesus also stepping out from the story going, and you're with me. You're, part, you're family to me. You're not a foreigner. You're not a subject. You're not a slave. The children are free. You're children with me. That's your spot in the family. Oh, what? And then we just, just like the nail in the coffin. Oh, and this is just so delightful. Now we're going to spill over into chapter 18, just the first four verses. And it says this, at that time when the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child. <laughs> you see it? I hope I'm not crazy. I think Matthew's doing this on purpose. We got another kid entering the picture. He called a child whom he put among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change you have to change. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. <laughs> he's not saying to be a child. He's not saying like devolve in your maturity. That's not the point of what's going on. Maturity is still implied it's all about posture. That's what Jesus is getting at. If you're, if you're going to understand God, you have to know that you're a child first. You're not a slave or a servant. You're not an employee. You're not a neighbor to him. You're not a foreigner. You're family. 
And not a distant, estranged relative, not somebody who lives across the ocean, like a child, like in the same house. It's not servile, it's not infantile, but it's simply a knowledge that God is my father. He's got it all planned out. That when we drive up to the trailhead, he's got the food, he's got the tent, he knows that I can do it. I'm just here to go backpacking with my dad. It's that kind of a posture. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to take on the humility, the humbleness of a child. What does that mean? I think it means you're gonna gotta, you gotta be curious. You've got so much to learn. Have a curious posture. It means that you have needs and other people have to be able to provide for them for you. You can't just do it all on your own. I think it means that their security is at home. It's with your family. That's your base of operations for everything. Just like a, just like a kid. And it means that when you fail, I love watching children, like kids. Have you ever watched like an infant who's learning to walk? My youngest niece is doing this, has been doing this for the last year. When you're learning to walk as a baby, you fall down square on your butt. Sometimes you go forward and that's a recipe for disaster. Oftentimes when Lucy falls down, she will giggle and she'll stand back up and she'll do it again. Like to watch kids fail, there's just not this expectation of like, dang it, I should be perfect. I should get this. What's wrong with me? But that is like a teenage and older issue. When you watch children and they fail, they just laugh. They're like, ah, I'll try it again. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be the greatest, when you fail, let shame not be the first thing that rushes in and says, look, you're just not, you don't have what it takes. I, I wrestle with this, y'all, so hard. Don't let that be the voice. To be a child means that you're listening to the voice of God. Go, hey, get back up. It's okay. It's okay. Keep walking towards me. And unless you change, you will have to take on a new perspective. You will have to have a new worldview, a new lifestyle. You cannot continue as you are and keep walking toward the kingdom. You're invited to transform. Or some might even say transfigure. You're supposed to change. So, we get to this part in the story. It's weird hearing the same line coming from heaven. Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If it's God, it feels like he could say a lot of different things. He's using the exact same line. Why? St. Teresa of Avila once said, no one is so far along on the spiritual journey that they do not often have to come back to the beginning. I think that's true of Jesus. I think that's true of you and me. I mean, today, really, when you look at it, is about the most simple sermon that there is. God loves you. You're his kid. And I think sometimes in our culture, we're like a post-Christian culture, even if you don't go to church, you've heard that before, and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That is not a yeah, 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 yeah. That is a life-altering reality. I'm just a human dad. I have these small windows into what God's heart is like. You don't have to be a dad to feel it. Go love a kid. Go love anyone. The hard things, the work, your marriage, your friendships, your family, your parenting, the being parented, the diagnosis, the loss, 
the suffering. Whatever's in your path right now, don't forget that he's standing next to you saying, you can do this. I'm with you all the way. I'm also a son. It's so hard for me to accept the fact that I don't have to earn it anymore. It's so hard to be real, to not hide the parts of me that I'm worried he'll be ashamed of or embarrassed by. It's hard for me to trust him, especially when things get hard. I panic. But the idea here is to see Jesus as the goal. He is the fulfillment of the entire story that God's been telling. He's everything we're supposed to be. He's her big brother. I'm gonna bring out the band. But you're still a child. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you're chosen. You're still wanted. He has never left you. Despite the suffering and the sorrow, you still belong with him. A life of spirituality does not have to be dictated by your comfort or by the seeming ease of your life. No matter what you've battled, regardless of what doubts continue to circle you, he is with you. You don't have to let the struggle be the thing that you focus on anymore. His grace is what holds you. His voice can be there to trust and encourage you every step along the trail. He may not relieve the pain, but you can trust where he's taking you through it. And even if that place is death, if you want to talk more about that, there'll be some folks up on stage after the service. And finally, you're not an only child in this family either. To learn from, to be loved by, to be reminded daily of these truths, you need family. Jump in one of those classes. Be with other people. It is so easy in the loneliness to let the voices of shame and doubt and struggle come in and be the loudest voices in the room. And it's not true. Be with some other kids in the family. Be reminded of the dad that you have and that he's good. And then finally, this family is global. God is interacting and teaching and growing us all over the planet. And it's, there's so much to learn and to experience. They're here today. The Dochis, the Riches. Talk to them. Talk to them about what they're seeing. What are they seeing God do? What gets into the, the heart of an Albanian or a Paraguayan? Does it look like, what does it look like to be the beloved in their country? How do you experience that as a missionary? It's huge, this family, this house that we all live in. And you're invited. If you have not known that you're a son or a daughter, that you're beloved, and if that's something that you go, I wanna live in that truth for the rest of my life, come talk to somebody up front after the service. We'd love to share a little bit more about what that looks like. For those that are able, we're gonna spend some time singing as you just enjoy the truth that you're beloved.